Deadwood Soundwell. Not safe for work. Not safe for work. Not safe for work. Welcome to Not Safe for Network. I'm Biggs. And I'm Brandon. So we're going to start out today talking about a legend in the broadcasting booth. John Madden just passed away. This just happened when we're recording, so there's no word on what happened. His family put out a statement that he suddenly passed away and did not give a cause of death on that. But I know he played football at one point. I know he was a Hall of Fame coach for the Raiders. And Hunter S. Thompson actually wrote a little bit about going to his training camp. I think like right after they won the Super Bowl, it was really interesting. There was this one piece of it that really stayed with me, which was kind of shorthand for Al Davis as an asshole. (laughs) But uh, this one receiver in practice, it didn't even matter. They were just flinging up balls at the corner of the end zone. And this one receiver dropped one pass. And so Al Davis had the guy repeat the route and do it over and over again for hours after practice had ended like he said that the sun was setting as this guy just kept running this route over and over again to make the owner happy and so like that always kind of stuck with me but of course madden's most famous for being in the broadcast booth and then if not eclipsed will eventually eclipse his video games because the madden football is no fucking joke man it's yeah always one of the best-selling games of the year if not best-selling game of the year i certainly had my run with it when i was watching football i I played a lot of fucking Madden, like an embarrassing amount of Madden. Yeah, I played a lot of Madden, and then after a while, I stopped playing because it got way too complicated for me. Yeah, the more complicated it got, the more I was in. It was basically like every three years, they would update the mechanics of it. And so if you hung with it, it was just the most minor tweaks every year so that when they did the overhaul, it wasn't overwhelming. But if you didn't hang with it every year and you only bought them every couple of years, it felt overwhelming for sure. The new one would come out like 08 would come out. They'd be a sale run on all like the 06 and 07. So I'd right, you were always behind. And then like after a while, I was like, I never felt like it changed much. And then like, I just kind of fell out of it. I had probably a good 10 year run where I'd get the newest one. And I'm not the guy who usually buys new games. I usually buy, you know, the $20 one. Yeah. Like I'm, I'm the greatest hits. Yeah. I'm usually perpetually behind, but Madden was one of those things I would pony up for every year because I just enjoyed it so much and logged so much time. I guess that started because it was originally made for the NES, like the Nintendo Entertainment System, the old 8-bit one from the 80s and they went to make it and they were designing it and i think they only had seven players on the field for each team because of the graphics they thought it would just be easier to have seven and not have the 11 and madden said i'm pulling out if you don't have a full field like i want it to be actual football that's on the game that was when it changed to ea sports yeah i'm glad he stuck to his guns because like There was a while there where I was playing the games and it was just like they had the exact plays that the teams were playing, you know, and you could switch it up. But it was interesting. You could get these players with the best stats, but if they didn't fit the system that you're playing, they're fucking worthless for most things. You know what I mean? So it was it was very interesting. You had to find guys that fit in your system. And I I love that they did that, that they they took the time to consider all that stuff because, man, they do that every year and you're having to update every player every year. 
and then guys who could potentially come in and then guys who come in in the middle of the year and then they had to update that shit later, you know? Like, it got more complicated and their teams had to have gotten bigger and bigger. But, man, that shit was a well-oiled machine. So, yeah, good on you, Madden. So, I uh, actually learned today that he was... 32 when he was hired as head coach. Yeah, what is it? Wasn't he one of the youngest head coaches ever hired? Yeah. Even by today's standard, it's young for a head coach. I think he won a couple of Super Bowls as a coach too, didn't he? Yeah, with the Raiders. Yeah. Well, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I think uh, as a he won, I, I think, think he also won played for 18, the Raiders as well. I think he won Super Bowl 18 was his first Super Bowl win as coach and did he win two or three i don't know i think it's two yeah two sounds right one other quick little factoid john madden never flew anywhere yeah that's right i almost forgot the most interesting thing about it he would take a bus everywhere which is why he would never ever do the pro bowl it was in his contracts because there's no way to take a bus to hawaii (laughs) yeah you'd have to like be a barack as him (laughs) (laughs) Do you want to explain that reference? For those who don't know, the A-team, Mr. T character, B.A. Baracus, would not fly in a plane. Was he the driver or was he just the muscle? I think he was the driver and the muscle. Yeah. So, like, he would drive anywhere, but, like, he would not fly anywhere. So they would have to, like, sedate him to get him on a plane if they needed to go somewhere. (laughs) Yeah, it was very funny. You'll be missed, John Madden. Peter Dinklage was talking about the Toxic Avenger recently because he's promoting Cyrano and somebody came up and asked him about it. And he said he wanted to make sure people knew it's not a remake. I just like guerrilla filmmaking. Those movies, they just made them no matter what. They did it because they love doing it. Some of them are not the best, but some of them are so much fun. When you make movies too clean, it can distance the audience. We want them to feel the dirt under their fingernails. I think those trauma films definitely dip the audience in toxic waste. (laughs) So we had a major problem with what they were originally doing with the Toxic Avenger movie because when this news first came out, and this has been in development for 10 years before they finally started filming, but they were initially going to try and make a PG-13 movie and try and cash in on the superhero thing. And it basically traded hands a bunch of times. I don't know if they're still going for PG-13 or not, but apparently right now it's being produced by Legendary Pictures with Lloyd Kaufman and Michael Hurst producing. So Lloyd Kaufman's involved, which means it's going to be trashy. Like it could just be that his name is just on it and they don't let him actually near it. I don't know. And then Macon Blair is directing. Kevin Bacon and Elijah Wood are also said to be in the film. And the most interesting thing I read up about it was the last incarnation to go for Toxic Avenger before they got Peter Dinklage to play the role is they got Arnold Schwarzenegger was committed and then he wound up bailing out to do Terminator Genesis. So (laughs) how do you go from Schwarzenegger to Dinklage? That's crazy. Yeah. I mean, that'd be like going from Arnold Schwarzenegger to Danny DeVito. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, <laughs> kind of. But Dinklage has got some chops and I'm, it makes me really, really interested in this because I love Peter Dinklage and I do love the original Toxic Avenger, even though it's genuinely an awful movie. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> I still have a soft spot for it. You know, uh, it kind of reminded me of the last blockbuster where. They were interviewing these different filmmakers for that documentary on Netflix. And Lloyd Kaufman was talking about how he didn't like Blockbuster because they had a million movies and not a single one was Troma Team, not even Toxic Avenger. Like he was so centered on his own thing in there. But like I was complaining about Blockbuster a little while ago and uh, which I think is is Patreon content. 
and and which Patreon is launching next month for sure. Just so that everybody knows, we've been talking about it for a while. It's launching next month. One of the things I did not like about Blockbuster is they didn't have a lot of the kind of grindhouse trashy movies. They were very centered on the type of movies they brought in. Yeah, that's one thing I do miss. I mean, there was one down in Bozeman that I went to daily <laughs> pretty much. And they had an entire section of just cult movie film. I mean, I watched so many of those movies. Yeah. Blockbuster was like, if you wanted the big new release video that came out, Spider-Man 2002 or something like that, that everybody wanted to see, they had it because they had a hundred million copies of it. Yeah. But that was like the last resort. Yep. And like Toxic Avenger was one of those things, especially when it was on VHS, where it was like you weren't guaranteed to find it at every video rental store, but you would find it at most. And you would just see that cover with like, you know, his deformed head and like the mop. (laughs) Holding up like a flag. Yep. Holding up a flag. And it was this kind of funny deconstruction of superhero comics back in a time when like superhero comics were not super in, you know? Yeah. Did you see the finale of Curb Your Enthusiasm? No, I haven't. I'm way behind on that show. Oh, okay. I caught up. The ending doesn't really matter so much. I mean, it's just Curb. You know what I mean? Like, there is an ending to what they set up at the beginning. But I got to say... Does J.B. Smoove go on his trip? I don't want to spoil any of that. You just got to check it out. But what does your gut tell you? No, not at all. (laughs) (laughs) Your gut serves you well, sir. (laughs) I want to like give a shout out here because I watched quite a few episodes with Tracy Ullman and did not realize it was Tracy Ullman until the second to last episode. And then I was like, holy shit, that's Tracy Ullman. Like the accent fooled me, the Jewish accent she was putting on. And she's aged a bit since I had seen her last, but she fucking killed it in that show. Like she basically plays this city councilwoman who Larry David is trying to convince to build a fence over the pool for various reasons that aren't important right now, but he's willing to do anything to get this law repealed. And so he winds up sleeping with her and she just gets more and more gross and like disgusting. And she's so, so fucking funny in the way that she did it. Tracy Ullman just fucking knocked it out of the park. So I really wanted to tip my cap to her. And then also Bill Hader was in one of the last episodes as well. And he plays three characters and he's so fucking funny in it too there were so many great guest spots on this season and jb smooth just killed it all the way through as well so like that guy's just getting funnier i don't know how that's possible you know yeah he's great (laughs) yeah still makes no sense on the show but like i don't know he's hilarious i wouldn't have it any other way one of the main draws for me yeah absolutely So did you want to talk about The Kingsman? I know you went to go watch that. Family and I went and saw The Kingsman on Christmas night. Most of us, except for my wife, had already seen Spider-Man No Way Home. We could all agree on this because we had all watched both of the previous Kingsman movies and enjoyed them quite a bit. I saw it and it was fine, but it didn't have that like the magic that the other two movies had. Okay. Like the first Kingsman movie had like a couple of great scenes in it. Everybody talks about the head exploding scene and then the the church scene. This one had a good fight with uh, Rasputin. That was like the highlight of the movie. And then the rest was kind of all just a period piece. 
What period of time does the first Kingsman movie take place in? So it takes place the turn of the 20th century, so 1901. Okay. And then it jumps forward to the start of World War One. Okay. And it like, takes place throughout World War One. Okay, so this makes sense in the timeline then. Yeah. I just, when I hear about heads exploding, I kind of assumed it was more modern. <laughs> oh, the, no, the, yeah. So this, Wait, so how's Elton John in the second one? So, okay. I, when I thought you meant the first Kingsman, I meant I thought I thought you meant like the newest one. Oh, oh, gotcha. Uh, so the newest one play, takes place in World War One, and then the last two take place in modern time. Okay. So the this one is actually the origin of this Secret S- Service. So how's Ralph Fiennes in this? So he's the one that basically starts the Kingsman. Did they de-age him or something? No. It's just what it is. <laughs> That's fucking insane. <laughs> so they just had him play like decades younger and they were just like, eh. Like 80 years younger. Yeah. What? <laughs> is there like a, an explanation of that somewhere in these movies? Like I still haven't seen these movies. No, there's no explanation. What the fuck? Because <laughs> that was one thing that kept bothering me when I was watching the trailer was I was like, this feels earlier considering Elton John was supposed to be a big part of the second one. Like, how? How is this happening? <laughs> okay. Yeah. So Ralph Fiennes, I think he plays the head in the first movie. And then I think he dies, if I remember right. Anyway, it doesn't matter. <laughs> like, it's just action fantasy, I guess, is kind of how I would put it. They understand it's ridiculous and they just don't care. They just, like, lean into it. Okay. All right, Like, fair. you have, like, these people that basically, like, it's sort of like James Bond meets Fight Club. Okay. <laughs> so, you know how, like, Fight Club is basically all of these, like, fast food workers and restaurateurs and people that work in movie theaters, like, people that are in service industry, but, like, it's all of the people that are like, this guy's a butler for the White House. He's a nanny for some lord in England. or So it's like all this like network of people that are basically standing on the sidelines because they're serving food. So they're hearing all of the stuff that they're talking about. And so like they can find out what, what's behind all the rumors. Okay. All right. I got it. So anybody stand out in this movie or is it just a um, Ralph Fine show? Actually, Rasputin is like the highlight of the show because it's uh, the guy who plays little Nicky's brother. <laughs> he's got the blonde hair and uh, oh shit, he's been in, he was like in the replacements. I think he played the kicker. Yeah, you're asking the wrong person. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like. If you've seen him, you're like, oh, I've seen that. Like, you've seen this guy and stuff, but he's never, like, notable. He kills it. Rasputin is a lot of fun. And what actually got out of that movie more than anything was, like, it's sort of like the Da Vinci Code where there's, like, elements of truth and then they, like, build a story around that. Okay. So I, after I watched the movie, I was I went down this rabbit hole of, like, World War One rumors and stuff and, like, looked up Rasputin's life and how he died oh the death is crazy yeah i was actually looking that up with my wife the other day because we were talking about him uh when i say the other day i mean last summer but (laughs) (laughs) Um, i'm an old man time's going quicker and quicker so yeah especially in these uh dark times because what the story i had heard was so so over inflated from the reality of 
what happened, but what happened was actually still crazy as well. Yeah. So he was shot three times, survived right. two of those shots. The third, third one like was right between he the eyes. He was poisoned. He was poisoned. He was hanged. He was drowned. Like none of it stuck until he was shot between the eyes. Yeah. And they contest a lot of that too, because they say it's based off of the testimonial of like these two people. And it turns out, you know, you can't really trust these people with all of that. But he did survive a couple of murder attempts for sure. Yeah. The other thing I found interesting is like he had nine children, but only two of them survived to adulthood. And one of them lived until 77. Yeah. That's probably not super surprising, though, because back in Russia in those days, yeah, you yeah. tried to wipe out the whole family. If there was somebody with power, you didn't want them to, like, ascend to that power. So you wiped them out, too. Like, we're talking about, you know, before communism, right? Yeah, the Bolshevik re- revolution. Yeah, like, exactly. Like, where they took out the, czar, the entire czar family. Yeah. So you didn't want any hanger-ons. So I'm surprised that one guy lived to 77. It was That's a girl. She died in 77 in L.A. So she, like, right during the Bolshevik Revolution, she fled to France, I believe, and then spent a majority of her life in France and then moved to L.A. in her later years and then finally passed away in 77. Interesting. Okay, so we're going to do a little bit of a ranking here. Today is the anniversary of Stanley's death when we're recording this. In honor of Stanley, we're going to rank all the Phase 4 stuff that's come out for the year that Stanley had nothing to do with, <laughs> except for creating some of the characters, I'm sure. Uh, none uh, of them come to mind right now, but <laughs> I, I don't know. Did he invent any of them? So was it Spider-Man? Oh, sure. Okay, there you go. <laughs> I was like, well, Dicko, you know. <laughs> I mean, Dicko and him. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, okay. So let's do this. I think we should go nine to one. What do you think? I think that's the way to go myself. Okay, and let's do this. When the show's or movie is brought up twice, then we'll talk about it so that we're not just like going over old ground. So number nine, I've got Falcon and Winter Soldier. Number nine, I've got The Eternals. Okay. And so this is kind of an asterisk because it's the one I haven't seen. Oh, okay. All right. I was like, no talking about it. We just talked about that. (laughs) But fair. Number eight, Hawkeye. Number eight, I got Falcon and the Winter Soldier. All right. Let's talk about Falcon and Winter Soldier. It was fun to watch. It's one of those things that just kind of like nothing really stuck after a while. It's just kind of a blur. I mean, it's six months of COVID away from that, but. Yeah, I had that one episode of the Pentultimate that I talked about last week, I think is the best Disney Plus episode and maybe the best phase four moment. But yeah, the rest of the show is, it's not that it's blah. It's just like, I don't know. It's my least favorite of all of it, you know? Yeah. So number seven, I've got Eternals. I've got Black Widow. All right, let's talk about Eternals really quick. What I really liked about Eternals, and I know that I think we've pretty much reviewed everything on here except for WandaVision. Eternals, I just like that it was like a hard sci-fi thing. Let you use your mind quite a bit. Like there was stuff to think out. There's no easy solution. And I really dig stuff like that. You know, like things that are more cerebral. This was the most cerebral thing Marvel's put out. And it definitely stands alone. So it was a big swing that I liked. And obviously it wasn't setting the world on fire. But, you know, it only made half a billion dollars. So (laughs) I think it wound up at like 425, something like that, like worldwide. Part of the reason I put it in number nine was it wasn't able to, like, get me to force the family to go see it in the theater. And then 
It hasn't been, as far as I know, it hasn't been released on Disney Plus yet. So So you would have ranked it higher having not seen it? If I had seen it. If your family wanted to go and you didn't get to see it? (laughs) No, and it's just I can't give it a fair ranking, so it's at the bottom of the list. Yeah, I know. (laughs) It was the implication. (laughs) What are you doing to those girls? All right, number six, I have Black Widow. I've got What If. All right, let's talk about Black Widow. The thing I really like is we got to see the start of Yelena. She's a new star for Marvel. She's going to be one of the biggest stars that they have. Like, that character is so fun. Yeah. And I thought that Red Guardian was great in it. Like, being introduced with the whole tattoo thing and just what an oaf he is. Like, I really enjoyed that they brought David Harbour in for that. And quite frankly, Black Widow was great. And I thought it was a... I was glad to finally see her get a movie. And people need to get over this shit. So what that it goes backwards. I like that. Comics go backwards all the time. Fucking deal with it. Right? Like, that's why they always had that box with the asterisk and would, like, say this takes place between issue number 75 and issue number 76. And you're on issue 90-something. So what? (laughs) It's how it goes. It's not always linear. Anyway, number five, I've got WandaVision. I've got Shang-Chi. Okay. Number four, I've got What If. Number four, I have WandaVision. Let's talk about What If really quick. What if I... Ranked lower when we're talking about shows. I talked about this a bit last week as well, but uh, I just felt the pressure in the room and I buckled and I felt the shame for it. And I figured I should stand up and be who I am at the end of the year. I fucking love the idea of just fucking with shit and seeing what happens. And I love Uatu. So I was really, really in for it. I thought it was a major swing that they got all these big actors to come in and read on a microphone. Like, I yeah. thought that was fucking great. Yeah, you know, when you get some of these like, you know, the people that are playing him in the movies and getting those characters on for this animated show is great. And I love that we're probably getting the Doctor Strange variant from the show mm-hmm. and that all the people who are refusing to watch What If are like, what are they talking about when they hear like Strange Supreme? And they're either going to have to check it out or be lost. Fuck you guys, dude. You were the one that decided animation didn't matter. So I love it. It might like creep its way up the list. As the universe keeps playing out, like when we get the new Doctor Strange movie, it could bump that what if just because there's so much of the start of that built into what if. Yeah. Let's talk about WandaVision now. I enjoyed the big swing. Probably like most people, like the first couple, like, oh, this is fun, but what are we watching? And then they threw you into it by the end, like you wanted to know everything about it. That's interesting. If you were to track my interest, it was high at the beginning because we hadn't hadn't had a marvel thing for a while and i was just grasping at the little things that they were dropping that were out of place or that were marvel tie-ins right i loved all the comparisons to the old shows that we did on instant occasion which is not available anymore good luck listening to that one unless you get on patreon at some point and i really enjoyed that shit then in the middle three episodes when it started to become a Marvel thing and they brought in Pietro and they were still doing the parodies, but now it's stuff from like when we were young and either watching on reruns that were on all the time or like the 80s, you know, I was super in. And then by the last three episodes, I was a little bit out. I was hanging on because I wanted to know stuff. But if I'm being honest, the only thing that really, truly interested me 
was Vision's story, finding out what was going on with Vision, you know? I did like Agatha all along, too, because I think that was in the final three. But I felt like it ended kind of with a thud a little bit. but A little bit. Yeah, but that's okay. Like, all in all, it was a big swing. I appreciated the big swing. And it was fun watching these send-ups of all these old television shows. And they really got it. Like, they knew what they were doing. Yeah. Number three, I got Shang-Chi. I actually have Hawkeye for this. So the last two episodes really swayed me on the Hawkeye because they were a lot of fun. Whoa. Yeah, you've ranked this pretty high, man. It's interesting because I felt like I liked Hawkeye more than you, but I still have it towards the bottom. (laughs) There was nothing in it that blew me away. I just really enjoyed the vibe and I thought it was kind of a perfect Christmas show. Yeah. Like, I love the Shane Black of it all. Like, Shane Black helped write Iron Man. You know what I mean? Like, he was there at the first one. He was there at the first one. And then he directed the third one. He's in the DNA of the Marvel Universe. And I love that they did this, like, loving tribute to his style. Yeah. I really, really like Yelena. Yeah. I mean, that character is so much fun. That was probably the best scene in any of the Marvel movies, right? When she's eating mac and and cheese. cheese hilarious dude so good i don't know it's it's toss up between that and her talking about her jacket with all the little pockets black (laughs) widow i guess i was thinking of the tv shows (laughs) yeah the jacket stuff is great too though don't get me wrong so let's talk about shang chi so it sounds like you didn't like it quite as much as i did it was a great story but it was just i felt like i'd seen a lot of it before i mean it was familiar but it didn't push anything for me This was the only Marvel movie where I loved every action sequence. The only one. I tend to mentally check out during action scenes in Marvel movies. Like, I'm more interested in the characters. Like, I realize it's a big part of it, so it's not like I'm complaining. But Shang-Chi, I was riveted by the action. And Jackie Chan's team helped put it all together. And I thought that was great. I thought it was hilarious. Like, I laughed all the way through. And It had one of the funniest scenes in a franchise that has a lot of funny scenes where they had Travis talking about how he became an actor because of Planet of the Apes and like just not understanding that the apes weren't acting. You know what I mean? (laughs) Like every every part of it, he just doesn't understand that they were not riding horses or like acting or any so fucking funny, dude. He was just so good at being so clueless. So one of the funniest Marvel scenes ever i think uh so number two i got spider-man homecoming i mean no way home yeah that's right (laughs) i was in a rush spider-man no way home i got number two i've got loki's number two okay well what do you want to talk about because it sounds like our number ones and number twos are reversed here i got no way home and you have loki as number one huh yeah i do well, let's talk about Loki since you brought it up. The difference between Loki and Spider-Man for me, Spider-Man was so much fun. Loki had fun moments, but it also had a lot to think about. It's that stuff to think about that I really dug. The, like, I love that it ends with a conversation. Yeah. That is incredible. It was this, like, 20-minute conversation that was fucking riveting. Like, Jonathan Majors just, like, killed it. And it's just another representative thing to me of how phase four is pushing the envelope and trying different things. And I just dug the way that that whole thing was set up. And the penultimate episode was an all-timer as well, where you had alligator Loki, who I never thought I'd give a shit about an alligator. You know what I mean? (laughs) I fucking love alligator Loki, dude. Seeing Richard E. Grant as like classic Loki, that was fantastic, dude. Even though you know he's going to get his big moment at the end, you still really feel it when he does. I absolutely love Loki. 
Yeah, it was a great show. I And that was the one I was looking forward to the least of all the shows that I knew about. I was going to watch Loki, but I didn't have a lot of anticipation to watch it. I wasn't ready to be blown away by it. And I was absolutely blown away by that show. Yeah, and it gave us so much stuff. Like, I think that more than anything spread the Marvel Universe, what's possible in the Marvel Universe. And which said that scene with uh, John Majors is just I mean, it's like a my dinner with Andre sort of like it's a conversation. Yeah. I mean, it's just the three of them. And basically the entire time, like he's basically trying to get Loki to kill him. And by Loki, you mean both of them. Yeah. Like either one. Sylvia or. No, he's, they, he basically gives them a choice, which is like you either kill me or you assume my place. It's a false narrative. You don't have to do those two things. And that's. That's the end of it. Like, if you stop to think about it, because they don't actually say it, but, like, our Loki, he's actually thinking about it. You know, he's going, wait, but let's just think about this for a minute. Because if he gets time to think about it, he'll figure out, you know, there's probably another option than just those two things that are being presented to me. And lo and behold, it happens. Like, she winds up going for revenge and killing him. And clearly... He has a variant who he's already thought this all out to like take control, right? Like they've gotten to the line, but he's had nothing but time to think about how he would deal with it. So he gives him this false narrative. It's such a smart last episode and it's probably the strongest season finale Disney plus has had period. Yeah, I don't know about this, the second season, Amanda. I loved it. I would put this above that because to be honest, like, the the second season of Mando, as much as I love it, it is very much playing on your heartstrings for like your love of of you know Luke Skywalker and, and Boba R- Fett and R two D two and stuff like that. But like this wasn't playing with any of that. This was just a really well constructed episode, and to make an animated clock haunting, you know what I mean? <laughs> it's pretty good. It's pretty good. Yeah, and I mean I put it at number two. Like I I had a lot of fun with No Way Home, so. Yeah. Well, let's talk about No Way Home. You're number one, my number two. I mean, we talked about it last week, so we don't have to get too in date. But it was just, I enjoyed it so much. Yeah. Yeah, it was fun watching three Spider-Men run around. Spider-Man. Yeah. We're done with the spoilers on this. (laughs) The whole world went to see it. Why didn't you? (laughs) (laughs) Carl's here. Betty White passed on New Year's Eve. I think that's particularly notable because there are not very many people on Earth that have at least close to 100% approval rating. I'm sure there's somebody who's like, fuck Betty White, but man, I don't know that person, I don't think. I said something on Twitter the other day that was like, uh, there aren't many things that unite us as like uh, people universally, but two of them are respect for Dolly Parton and respect for Betty White. The Dolly Parton one starts to fall apart with a lot of country guys. I'll tell you that. I've heard guys who went off because she's liberal, and uh, there are some country guys that get very, very irritated at Dolly Parton, so she's got a very high Q rating for country music, I will say that, because <laughs> it goes far beyond country, you know? She's probably, in my estimation, she's probably like a 90%. That sound right to you? I think it's universally understood that she is just a kind person. I don't think people That's really uh, think of her in terms of politics at all, because I don't think she projects politics 
hardly I, ever, other than the fact that she just does things like without telling anybody she's doing them. And then somebody finds out and it's like, holy shit, this whole thing that had this huge impact on millions of people just happened to be Dolly Parton and we, we're just finding this out now. Right. I guess in particular, what I was thinking of was when she backed Back Lives Matter. Uh, when they asked her a question about it and she went out and just unquestionably backed it, there was definitely a backlash. In yeah, the, but uh, anybody back like those people, they don't count for shit, dude. <laughs> I'm not disagreeing. Yeah. <laughs> but they are Their people. Their opinions don't unfortunately. matter. <laughs> we love Dolly Parton and we loved Betty White. Yeah. And can't pick a favorite scene because they were also good. <laughs> she was just fun. I remember... Her show Hot in Cleveland, I never watched that, but that was really popular at the retirement home I worked at. It was on all the TVs, so I would see snippets of it, and she's pretty good in that. Was Don Cheadle in that? Or I, is that a different one? I don't remember him being in that. I remember I think it that's a different show. being her and uh, the lady who played uh, Niles's love interest, Daphne and Frasier. And uh, I can't remember who the other two were, but it was like they were all women who at one point had really big sitcoms and they were just older. So they were like, let's just lean into it and make a show. That's crazy that I'm not familiar with that show because it feels like I should be. Like it was on like TV land or something like that. Like it was a, it was a cable show for sure. Like it wasn't a a network show. So it was one of those things where it was probably a big success for that particular channel, but it's not necessarily something that mainstream audiences know. But of course she's most famous for golden girls. And man, I never would have thought when I was a kid or a teenager or in my twenties that like that show would have the legs that it had. But I got to say, I've seen reruns of it and where it still holds up. It's they're all over oh, the place. TV land. Yeah. Probably. There you go. <laughs> that's where it was. That's originally. definitely one. That's the only one. That's the only place it's playing. Golden Girls? Oh, no, I thought you meant that other oh, one. Oh, no, I was talking about Golden I, Girls. Oh, I thought you were still on the... Oh, no, 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 I, I moved like, on. You're saying that show I've never heard of. No, no, no. It's Go- getting reruns on all the channels. No, Go- Golden Girls sense. has crazy legs. I mean, my daughter... Where's Golden Girls going to my- be? On Nick at Night or TV Land? Maybe uh, Lifetime, maybe? It's also uh, one of those shows that, you know, 5 o'clock reruns, it's going to be in syndication TBS, on, on some maybe. Stuff. Well, TBS has its own... Random TV channels things. have it, dude. You're thinking like, you're talking like WJXQ CBS. Yes, yeah, that stuff like that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Local, more local channels that are like network affiliates. I, I'm following that. I can see that being there. Yeah, because I forget that that is what TV is like. Because because that's not what it's like for our age group. Well, or no, younger. it's or our um our region. Like you know where you'll see a lot more local channels like that. Yeah, is in bigger cities where there are local TV stations still. But even we had that we one. Have, we have local KTVH, channel. which is like NBC. Like yeah. I guess it's Beartooth NBC or something now because it got bought out by a giant corporation thing. But I at least last I checked when I had cable, which was fucking years they don't have ago, any... they would have the reruns at like from like five to maybe not five because that's the news, but like probably from like three o'clock to five o'clock they would have yeah, like yeah. a two after hour the block after of school to yep. up to the news hour. Yeah, it's always rerun hours or daytime talk shows or I get mixed soap up operas. with the five o'clock thing because I used to live in Oregon and that was like the news was six o'clock. It was the six o'clock and eleven o'clock news. So I I'd still get that screwed up sometimes. Like the morning nine to nine to noon is like morning talk shows and 
like specific game shows. It was soap uh, operas, but not as much anymore. No, soap operas start after lunch. Soap operas they go until largely gone away now. Right. That's I'm talking about back in the day. Yeah. Yeah. Whenever I'd stay home from school, I'm I remember And you'd have stuff like like, the prices right. (laughs) Yep. That's the game shows I was talking about is like not any like not like primetime game shows, but like you'd have that kind of and then eventually the Soap operas gave way to things like uh, reality TV. Let's be honest. Dude. Reality TV took its lunch. Like uh, daytime talk shows were around when I was a kid, for sure. That they, they, they reality shows. Us, you mean like judge shows? Mostly judge, judge shows, shows as well. Like judge mostly, shows. Definitely well, those are reality shows, sort of. Yeah, yeah, they kind of are in the sense that it's all scripted, but it's also but like what I noticed real was cases sometimes. As there was more reality shows, there was less soap operas. Like they, I think they took their lunch. Like they took the audience who would hang on the soap operas and they yeah, all went over reality like, shows. I don't know. Reduce it to this binary thing. Sure. <laughs> well, you know, I'm all about the binary. It's just like this, <laughs> the seesaw. Yeah. And like, as you're adding date reality shows on, you're taking the, you have to take off to keep it balanced. You have to take off soap operas. You don't have to. I just think that's where the audience went to. I like, I made this observation. I want to say seven or eight years ago, and it's absolutely held true. Give me an example of a daytime reality show. You're talking to the wrong guy. Well then you, but they're, they're, on, all the, ob- they're on all the cable channels. There's the judge shows you were talking about. I mean, I don't have cable anymore. <laughs> I'm just saying you said you made this observation. I might be the first cord cutter you know. I was very, very fast on it. Like I was doing that before Netflix was even streaming stuff. Like I was watching, I was hooking up my computer to my TV and watching Hulu. And that was my only TV for a couple years. So I was on the cord cutting very, very early. So I, I'm not the expert to talk about recent history, but I noticed leading up to it, it was like you would start to get the Kardashians rerun during the day. And then I noticed like so on network were television, no on E, but it's, it's all about cable at that point. Right now well, it's I all think about you, streaming. <clears throat> the period you're, ref- I'm thinking when I'm thinking of like where soap opera started to die off, I thought that actually goes all the way back to like the nineties, doesn't it? No, soap operas were strong in the 90s. They started doing the supernatural stuff in the 90s. So you had like whichever one it was where the girl got possessed. You had the one that was everybody was like some kind of monster or witch or whatever. I, I can't remember what soap opera that was, but it, it started to be take this weird supernatural turn in the 90s, which is probably a callback to Dark Shadows in the 70s. But well, you know what soap operas morphed into then is all those young adult shows that are on primetime like uh vampire diaries and uh, cw yeah. yeah the cw-esque shows i think you might be right they they probably because those are all very slots skewed younger yeah i think riverdale's you're right. a soap opera essentially dude even it's the superhero better. cw stuff is soap opera and it's no is longer like adjective? it's no longer filmed like a 90s sitcom like on a set with you know it's filmed like a regular tv like, like a three single camera, camera set or, or yeah, you're right single camera setup three cameras that sitcom one yeah. right because yeah, you're yeah. doing a performance so you got to catch all the angles let's move on whatever it... happened to dating shows they're just gross right i guess they're kind of back they're they're more reality they're, like they're reality style. show like, based but they're they're still around love right? on the spectrum it's more like that kind of thing and yeah. it's or like the one i guess there was that weird british one i there's they're like that's the thing too it's like okay let me just say british 
television like is very different in the sense that they are loaded up with game shows and panel shows and stuff with like these panels of comedians that like do all of these different shows. And there's tons of there's yeah. like a shitload of them. And we have nothing like that over here, like at all. But we have tons of really good sketch and like and they and have we like also lost get, we also get any of the british stuff we want to and we've got tons of like news commentary like late night kind of shows like we've got our daily show and our john oliver which is funny that john oliver came to america to do this kind of i mean not yeah. to do this kind of show but, but he it wound can, up happening he does th- that kind of show in america because that's an american kind of show and he's british and in britain over there they can't figure out how to make that kind of show work like they just can't do it and it's like but, the humor is just fundamentally but like, the irony is that show is popular in great britain so it does work. It's just the American style, right? Like it, it's an American setup. They can't make it. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. As far as we know, we no, only no. know what we're, what we're getting, right? Like I, I remember hearing somebody who was from a British show was in this interview and this guy's like, how come all the good comedies are from Great Britain? He's like, oh no, there's way better ones in America. He's like, the thing you guys don't understand is you guys see about one and a half percent of the stuff we get. Well, He's I like, also we have think utter garbage. That, he, that who Whoever said that initial thing is wrong because the best comedians come from Canada, which is like a hybrid, (laughs) which is like a hybrid of American and British humor. Yeah, that's true. And certainly not all of the comedy that comes from Canada is good, in my opinion. Like, there are ones that I'm not a big fan of. I'm not a big fan of Letter Canada. That's, yeah, I'm not a fan of that show at all. But I do think that, like, they consistently have, like, not just, like, a concentration of comics that come to America and, like, dominate here. And then, like, go on to dominate across the fucking world. Most of the legendary comics from the generation we grew up with, like, most of them are from Canada. And it's also, it's not like one style of comedy is coming from Canada. All the different comedians that are coming from Canada are doing different things from each other. What we're getting from Canada is, like, original comedy, basically. Like, Kids in the Hall, very original. Yeah, Jim Carrey, dude. Jim Carrey. (laughs) he kind of (laughs) proves my whole and then like mark short blah 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 like everybody and this is the thing you know what they do in in canada is they give fucking medals to their comedians they like love their comedians in their own country we do here but not very often like they give that that kennedy medal and so it happens (sighs) from time to time Chappelle got it a couple years ago the biggest, we give the Mark Twain The award. biggest comedians in Canada or in America, like that come out of America are like, they kind of flare up and then they tend to burn out for the most part. And I mean, like now more contemporary, less of like the old days uh, where comedy was just very different historically. Like it's hard to compare the old days of comedy to modern comedy. Like when I'm talking about comedians that got biggest ever, like coming out of America, we're talking like guys like Dane Cook. You know, Kevin Hart. Ugh, God, yeah. And uh, and Kevin but Hart. Steve Martin. Steve Martin's a good example. He was selling yes. out arenas in the 70s. Steve Martin, Canadian. No, uh, I'm just kidding. No. I'm just kidding. He's not. <laughs> like, he's like from, not. he's from like some like 
I knew somewhere where you learn how to play the banjo. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> like oh middle, I, I actually do know. He's from Orange County. Okay, he's from Orange County because banjo. he learned all of his stuff at Disneyland. <laughs> okay. Like he learned to play the banjo for a thing at Disneyland. He learned okay, to do magic tricks sense. and juggling from Disneyland. And the stand-up basically just incorporated everything he learned and put it through the lens of a failed entertainer. That was his whole thing. So like he's trying to be a hack in a 70s comedy and making it super <laughs> obvious. And that was the big joke of it, right? Like he was just being silly at a time where everybody was very angry and being satirical. He was also just so wholesome that you couldn't help but be like, I like this guy. And like when he got happy feet. Yeah. <laughs> would dance around. <laughs> yeah, um, so good. Well, moving on, let's talk about a show that's been being beamed out to the world, but started in Georgia, uh, the Book of Boba Fett. So in a pod in Georgia, granted. But so what did you think about this show? It's fine. It's fun. I have to say it was kind of mad to me. I didn't hate it. And I think it's got potential to be better. But that first episode, every time he went into flashback, I was like, man, I just don't care. I want to see the actual story, like the main story here. I, I don't care about this. Well, you know, they backlog. had to show him escape from the Sarlacc pit. Finally, they had to do that. You're right. And you know what the bummer about that is? And I hate to like pull the nerdy Star Wars fan card. But I've seen it done three ways now. So I saw in this show where, what, basically he forces his way, like he finds a blaster or something on a stormtrooper. Is that what happened? He like somehow forces his way out of the side of it. Uh, He used, I think he got some kind of a hose. He needed, there was like a hose and he either used it to like fuel his fire jet thing. Or he just got himself enough oxygen to, like, think straight to then cut it through that thing and then just f- fucking flame the shit out of the That's right. Pit. He got oxygen from the, the dead stormtrooper. Okay. Yeah. To That's like, right. Just to, like, kind of wake up, revive himself enough to, like, think quickly enough to do the next thing or whatever. That's what it seemed like he was doing. Yeah, I think you're right. We're recording this five days after I watched it. So I'm like a little, it's starting to fade. Yeah, it's like three or four days. I don't know. And I watched it. I think, uh, no, I watched it on my TV, not on my phone. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Um, The Sarlacc Pit. I've seen this play out three ways. I saw that way. I saw it in the comics, which was the worst way, which was... For some reason, Han Solo is back on Tatooine and he takes over that big wheeled thing that the Jawas have. You know what I mean? The big metal yeah, thing yeah. that they, they put R2 and C-3PO into. And they're going really fast. And then Boba Fett crawls his way out of the pit coincidentally right then and gets on and sees Han Solo and goes to kill Han Solo and then gets knocked off of the thing without Han Solo even seeing him and goes right back into the Sarlacc pit. And I was like, boo, (laughs) like I hated that. That was terrible. And then the third way I saw it done, which I think is the best way to me. So they had this whole thing that they really emphasized the fact that the Sarlacc pit digests you for a thousand years, right? Like they say that in Return of the Jedi. And so in this book, Tales from Jabba's Palace, which is all these short stories, they have Boba Fett's story. And so when he goes into the Sarlacc pit, he's basically caught in there and the Sarlacc will start to dissolve parts of his body and then it'll start to heal him so that he like slowly heals back. 
and then it'll start to dissolve him again. And it has like a psychic link with him and it's letting him know it's torturing him. And this is going to go on for thousands of years. Like he can prolong his life for a long time to keep torturing him. And so eventually Boba Fett realizes that when Han Solo hit his jetpack, he like hit the switch to turn it on because it like blasts before he goes in the Sarlacc pit. And so he basically provokes it to like melt part of his arm and start healing his arm. And when his arm starts to heal, he gets to the switch and hits it. And then the the flame from it stuns the Sarlacc for just a second because it doesn't expect it. And he flies out of the pit. So he he gets in the slave one. He leaves Tatooine and he comes back a year later and he puts the slave one over the Sarlacc pit and just like uses the the exhaust to like bake it a little bit and then flies off to kill like to come back to like torture it in another year. Like he's just going to keep doing this until he eventually kills it. So he's basically giving it the same treatment that it gave him, particularly when he's in the pit and it's healing him and hurting him and healing him. I found that very fascinating. I I just wasn't, this just felt kind of nonplus to me. I don't know. I, of the three things you described, I think the TV show is the good one. (laughs) Okay. I'm not sure I'm a, I'm on board with a like sentient, malevolent sarlacc pit that is like cruelly devouring its prey i think i can only, it might work better in story i think form. it that <laughs> kind of only works as a novel and it feels a little like it's expanding it's it's expanding the the universe not in which like, was the point in those days but this not, is from the 90s it's not expanding it in like any useful way no it's, it's just expanding telling you a story. it in like an awful fan fiction way <laughs> It sounds like fan fiction is well, what what you described to me sounds like fan fiction because then it also turns into this like is the Boba Fett do we want him to be this like cruel revenge seeking like torturer himself? Let's be honest, dude. Back in those days, we that just was looked, cool. We looked at that him, was cool. we looked at him as the no, quiet villain. It also was like it's also kind of like in some ways it's kind of cool to be cruel like that the way i was talking about boba fett in that book he was a villain he was in no way a hero they did not paint him to be a hero back in those days he was a villain that has shifted for sure yeah and in this they are very much trying to make him a hero you can see it in the uh current story they're trying to make him noble yeah, because he's trying oh, to. Oh, he's shaking up the. He's trying to like hold. Oh, he's shaking that empire. Jabba's old empire was recent, re, most recently Bib <laughs> Fortuna, right? Because he kills yeah. him. But he's trying to rule through respect. It's not kind fear. of funny though, because it's like he's like, "We are the crime lords of the city. We will be doing no crime here." <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> what crime? <laughs> At the crime headquarters. <laughs> What kind of criminals do you think we are? <laughs> yeah. Like, it's hilarious. To we, we're but lawful I'm good in it. the city and chaotic evil outside of it. <laughs> well, and I just think, I like, every time Fennec, that's her name, right? Fennec? Yeah, I think she's, so. Every time she's like, uh, she's trying this to tell is, him the she's, simple No, no, way, she's like, right? this is really going to, if you do things, this is going to shake things up a lot. And I'm like, I think that's what he's trying to do. Yeah. I think his goal is to just like turn everything upside down. I do kind of wonder if they're trying to like. (laughs) How do I destabilize this entire city? I wonder if they're trying to tie him to his Mandalorian heritage a little bit. I mean, I know he's a clone. Is he? 
But he looks at himself as the son of Jango Fett because Jango Fett looked at him as his son. Was Jango right? Fett a man, a good Mandalorian? I thought he was, he was a, he like was a, a man, bad Mandalorian. He was a Mandalorian. Didn't he get when we talk about canon? Up? We don't really know. There was stories in the old stuff, but we can throw that out. Yeah, don't even acknowledge that they exist. There were no stories in terms of <laughs> of the the current canon, because that's what they're operating off of, right? Like if you're going off of old canon, there's no way you treat Boba Fett this way. Like Boba Fett is a villain. Like he's he's not even an anti-hero. He's just a villain. You know what I mean? In this? No, in the old canon. Oh yeah, yeah, no, yeah. And this before he had any, he's kind of an anti whatsoever when he was just a surface level bounty hunter yep and that's all they kept him was a surface level bounty hunter <laughs> so here's my biggest takeaway from both boba fett's appearance in the mandalorian and this first episode of the book of boba fett i enjoy the the new boba fett i enjoy that the character is like actually pretty badass like he is pretty badass i gotta say yeah like when he's yeah i'm not disagreeing he's got an imposing stance like he's they're doing him the only way you can make a series Uh, off of him too to be honest but i really miss him being so lame because there were still people that loved him so much (laughs) and i was it was really really fun to troll those people and be like and have all of this ammo of like, no, he's secretly lame. Like my one of my favorite things to tell Boba Fett fans was like when Darth Vader says no disintegration, it's like a reprimand. And he goes, as you wish. Because he's right? incompetent. And it's not because it's not because he's ruthless and he just it's because he's a shitty bounty hunter and he disintegrates things he's supposed to capture alive. <laughs> and he's like, and Darth Vader's not saying like that's not an order to him. It's like a reminder to an idiot like no okay i know this is like the hundred thousandth time i've had to say this (laughs) no fucking disintegration you moron like that is that's the in the inflection of that line you're right you're right and so like and what does he do he like (laughs) just sits he sits in a garbage pile see solo lets vader know that he's going out with the garbage pile (laughs) and then he gets thrown into the sarlacc pit that's all he fucking does in the movies he does nothing in that movie he does nothing he's like oh i'm gonna get you what i'll fall into a big hole in the ground that hole doesn't move it's yeah. not like the not whole only, not only does he get thrown he like into the sarlacc he pit, crashes into the side of the barge not only does he get thrown <laughs> into the sarlacc pit he's trying he to murder somebody who can't see who does not have yeah. the force and he gets murdered by the person who can't see and yeah. doesn't well, have the force but not not murdered. not only that he's hanging on the edge of a thing yeah terrible it's blind, terrible and he gets taken yeah. out by that guy terrible. by accident. He's a terrible bounty hunter. <laughs> yeah. And there was like, there was this amazing cracked video way back in the day where uh, this exact, basically this exact argument was being made. So I take no credit for this, but this, it's like, these are just it's Michael Swain. I believe it's Michael Swain poking holes in Boba Fett because he's annoyed at how much this other guy who I forget which one, I think it's Cody. I think it might be Cody. Anyways, he like loves Boba Fett. And so Michael Swain was just like, here's why Boba Fett sucks. 
Fox. And there's like three videos where he just is like keeps bringing it back and bringing it back and just like destroying this character. (laughs) I have fond memories of doing the same, of using those arguments to like destroy Boba Fett. Like not really, but like I was remember having conversations with Lura, for example, which is one of the reasons why I always thought it would be really fun to do a podcast with Lura is because, you know, she unabashedly loves these characters that I love to make fun of. Yeah. I can't really do that anymore because they've done such a good job of making him a genuine badass. I'm going to say it. He's a genuine badass now. Yeah. In my, in my estimation, and and had, I can't make the joke that he's lame anymore. They kind of had to do that because <laughs> if you look at what we had left with Boba Fett, if we're being real, the reason why he was so popular was because he looked cool. Yeah. He was one of the coolest looking ones. But now that you have the Mandalorian shiny armor on the Mandalorian, doesn't even look super cool anymore because now you look I at disagree. that. I disagree. I think you look at the green thing versus the other one and I'm like, it's no competition to to me like the Mandalorian looks cooler and so he's, now he just looks he's shiny his... they both look equally cool okay they look shiny I mean I know shinier. I know he's the like, OG so I, I give well, it to him but the thing is is like with Boba Fett it also feels like more battered and it he it feels more lived in and more like yeah yeah he feels more battle worn and like he's earned his place yeah more fair from what he looks like all raggedy and and also like when uh timothy the olive pants wearing boba's foot armor that's pretty badass too <laughs> <laughs> took but i just boba's love armor. well the jawas took it yeah, and then yeah he, he got, got it from, from the jawas, jawas clearly yeah. so i am looking forward to future episodes of this yes. i was just not super you didn't up like on the first how one. it was it's not that half. i didn't like it i didn't hate it and i didn't love it i just felt did the flash Nothing. does the flashback stuff feel like padding a little bit? The flashback stuff Did that feels like you? it gets in the way of the story that I'm interested in. Like they You were more you were less intrigued by the ba- flashback than you were by the pre- you want to see the present. I want to see the present. I want to see That's where fair. it's going. Yeah. That's fair. When I realized that like he uses the Jaffa stick, I think that's what it's called. Yeah. The hooked um yeah. stick that the that the um sand people use. I realized, ooh, we're gonna see him like become part of this tribe, I guess, and like learn their ways, which I want to see. I'm more than seeing the Mandalorian with that as helmet. I want to see what a fucking Java looks like with that. Are they wearing yeah. masks or I've, are those their actual faces? I don't know. I've always <laughs> the wondered sand that. People are frustrating because their language is stupid because it's just like yeah yeah but they look like they could speak an actual language i'm gonna be honest dude like i'm super interested in what they look like and there's a part of me that knows without a doubt that if they ever take that hood off i'm going to be so disappointed (laughs) you know what i mean okay here's here's one thing to me something shouldn't be revealed it feels a little bit like fennec is that female sand person doesn't it? Like, that's probably not accurate at all. What if they just look like fucking people? <laughs> and they just have those and what if things. There are, well, and the fact that, like, are there, I know that they're, like, kind of slavers traditionally. They I, were slave. This is what's hard is, like, I don't know. In the old canon? Yeah, I don't I, know what they are in the current canon. Because in the old canon, they are Jawas grown up. Like, when Jawas reach a certain age. What? They, yes. In the old no. canon. No, I swear okay. to God. I hate and, that. And the old, I'm glad that's not the way it and is the old, <laughs> anymore. Well, actually, I said this wrong. Hold on. They're an evolution of Jawas. That's what it is. It's like the Jawas... 
at some point got cut off from the sand people and like they evolved differently and they became sand people. Oh, I so can sand see. People no, that's way fine. More I can see that. But um, that, I said that wrong. I'm sorry. They don't grow up to be sand people. I, I like said that's that wrong. Different stages of their life cycle. Yeah, that's that's <laughs> not okay. what it is. But there, there is an evolution of it, and I know that Jawas are the caterpillar. Know, and I also know that sand like, people are the butterfly. And I also know that they have this one canon where where Anakin had killed them all in the prequel. They do not return to that spot because they thought a ghost killed all of them, like this vengeful spirit. So they're like terrified of going to that spot where Anakin killed hmm. all the sand people. So there's like interesting lore in the old stuff, but all of that's wiped out. I just don't know the current lore anymore. But I like that they're humanizing him a little bit more like in The Mandalorian. Instead of having him fight him, he like does a quest for him and talks to him and yeah. like works out stuff with so him. So my speculation is that the sand people are like a tribe that more than anything respects being like strong enough to withstand the brutal nature of the desert kind of thing right and so like it almost feels like you don't have to be a certain race like sand people are not a race they're a tribe but they're and definitely so, based off of colonial tropes right like well, they're the they're the the quote-unquote savages that that are out to kill your hero or whatever you can't and i just, do feel like they're trying to reclaim that now you can't but. just erase slavery from their their history as characters all in like just suddenly you have to kind of like the same way you do with real life. You have to like incrementally move them in your story away from that, especially a big, long ongoing story like this, where uh, the lore people track it and they're like, this just suddenly disappeared. You know, they were this kind of thing and then they're suddenly different. What the fuck is up with that? It's like, so what they're doing is they're like, as they're telling these new stories, they're like, well, like they're holding them as prisoners, but they're not like, they're not like slaves, slaves, you know, they're just prisoners. But like, it looks like if you are able to um, show that you are strong enough that they're just like, oh man, we got too much respect for you now to and to keep in keep you prisoner now you're like just part of the tribe now yeah and it, the strong survive survival of the fittest is, seen, is a thing of it so like the rodian i believe that's the species of alien if i remember correctly just i think i saw rodian in the subtitles <laughs> so this <laughs> that's the only reason i know that this species. might be a case too where you're talking about moving it away from that that might be a case where um I think and we're for, watching... for all the fans who scream about diversity in star wars which like i don't honestly care about yeah, your why opinion do we anyway but this is Corellians a good example of why we're seeing Twi'leks. this kind of Get stuff rid of Twi'leks. like robert rodriguez is running this and he seems to be interested in diving mm. into the lore of that and expanding them more as you get diversity in the filmmaker you're seeing different points of view come across so i am fascinated with that i don't hate the past stuff i just i'm more interested in the present stuff if that makes sense and present in the i, I guess the tv shows timelines right? well what's there's a difference there where like the past you already know where it winds up because yeah. you're seeing the present where he's at now so like you know that nothing can happen to him in the past that is a real threat right because you know already for a fact he'll overcome that to reach the present where he still exists um it's that's the flashback stuff is purely for 
how did we get here? Uh, revealing character aspects of like just character. It's all pure character stuff. Right. Why does he behave the way that he does in the present? Because of things he experienced back then. But then like the present, that first episode, all the present scenes were all setting up future stuff. Yeah. And anticipation of the future stuff is probably has more appeal, I suppose, than the past stuff. Don't Look Up dropped on Netflix this week. Is that Adam McKay? That's the Adam McKay joint. Also written by Bernie's speechwriter, I guess, like Bernie Sanders, which is not surprising. But I would also say that this directly goes in line with Adam McKay's views because I've heard him talk a lot. And I watched Vice like anybody else who watched it and, and didn't just criticize it without watching it. I saw the big short. And this is absolutely in line with his ideals. This is basically about two astronomers who see a comet. And the beginning of the movie feels like a serious drama. You got Leonardo DiCaprio and Jennifer Lawrence, right? They see this comet. They realize it's going to hit Earth. Uh, they get pulled into going to Washington, D.C. to talk to the president. And then while they're waiting in the hallway, we finally see, oh, this is a dark comedy, right? Like, this is a dark satire. And Meryl Streep is playing the president. Could be a Republican. Could be a Democrat. They don't really say. In fact, I think they pointedly don't say yep. to let you know, like, this is just America. This isn't just a political thing. Jonah Hill is her uh, Donald chief, Trump of Jr. State, <laughs> chief of state and son. Chief of staff. And son. Yeah. Like the clear nepotism doesn't belong in the room, acts like he's the only person that belongs in the room. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Worst character in the movie, which I'm saying that as like kudos to Jonah Hill for playing such an awful person. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's not a fun performance, but it's the right performance. I think he had fun doing it. No, I'm sure he had yeah. fun. I mean, <laughs> watching him, you're just like, fuck this guy the no, whole watching... time you watch him. But that needs to be there. Jonah Hill in this movie is kind of like the, um, and I'm saying this with only a little bit of understanding of the show, but he's the Kieran Culkin of in succession of this movie. Yeah, actually that, that is who's also, and I got, got roots in that. Okay. As well. So I got that purely from listening to, uh, Kieran Culkin talk about being on succession on the podcast Conan O'Brien podcast. I've never actually watched Succession. But it's you good. have, right? Yeah. yeah so you good. can validate what I, I'm saying. I absolutely validate that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's he's a very similar character. Yeah. Um guy who shouldn't be there and is snarky as shit. There's a lot of good cameos in this movie. Uh Tyler Perry is really fun as like the um news guy that's just trying to keep everything light. Dude, when he's not playing Medea, he's, he's amazing. Really good. Like he's, he's also so on Gone Girl and he yep. was really good. No, he's a great actor that falls back on a terrible character. A terrible character that probably makes him boatloads oh, of yeah. money. <laughs> Billions of dollars. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Jennifer Lawrence is really good. And we uh, should just say basically what this is, is the comet's going to hit Earth and nobody will listen to them in a way. Like they twist everything then, to well, put, give a more positive outlook or later they get on. ignored completely at first. Then when... The president's in danger of losing the midterms because they she leak leverages the she leverages them in order to win and then starts to put a plan for deflecting the comet into play. But then uh, they at decide the last second, they're going to have their uh... well, at the last second, the owner of the basically the stand in for Mark Bezos Zuckerberg, or, Jeff Bezos, yeah, any of these Elon, guys, like an amalgamation of all these billionaires, uh, has independently discovered that the 
asteroid is or the comet is primarily made up of extremely valuable materials and so they want to let the comet get closer and then use drones to like blow it up into smaller pieces that will still do a ton of damage to the earth <laughs> yep. but like but ultimately we'll have all these things for cell make phones. them a That's bunch of is. money and uh so literally they've launched the the rockets to deflect the thing and then they abort it so that they can start this other plan and then that plan is not following science and it's and it fails and the comet hits earth and kills there's everybody. things leading up to it that are so observational that i love to like for example leonardo dicaprio is basically like why are you sending manned ships up there it should just be drones like isn't that dangerous for the pilot but they want a face on it they want yeah, like an american want a hero. hero so they have ron perlman just play this like fucking douchey old hero i don't even know what he was but i mean we see this over and over again in u.s history right like you spearhead some big thing by having some big name in it and uh it's the guy's clearly not qualified (laughs) to do this anymore then there's these little funny things in there too and there's stuff like jennifer lawrence and leonardo dicaprio when they're in waiting for the president there's this general who gets them some snacks because they're waiting in the hallway for like 12 hours or something and he gets him some snacks and he's like yeah all they have is some vending machines so it was like ten dollars or whatever so they hand him the money and then later on you find out that the snacks are free because it's the White House, yeah. as she puts it. And it just becomes this recurring rant of hers where it'll just, like, cut to a scene with her with some other person. And like she's Timothy mid- Chalamet. And she's just mid-rant about, like, what the fuck is going on with this guy? Like, she can't let it go. <laughs> and, yeah, I think that was the funniest joke in the whole movie. Just, it got me every time. And it's it's a very, I thought it was a good movie, but it's not, like, super laugh out loud. Like, there are moments that are laugh out loud funny, but. Uh, it's very funny. Funny and sad simultaneously yeah. because this is a yeah. metaphor for the Fuck, environment. Man. Like you can also see air, like things of but COVID also in there. Just mortality too. It's a pretty gut punch moment at the very end when uh, the comet hits and like wipes everybody out. Yeah, and by the way, I would have fucking hated this movie if it didn't end the world. There's nothing I hate more than apocalyptic movie that promises the apocalypse and then doesn't deliver it. Have the balls to fucking do what you're selling. And this movie does not work if it doesn't have a shitty ending, quite frankly. Like, if the world doesn't end, what was the point of this? Because they're trying to get you to look at the environment above yeah. everything else. I like, think we have nowadays, all of these warning signs and all these scientists telling us though, this shit's going to happen and we're looking past it and we're ignoring it and we're trying to put a positive spin on it. And so we're heading towards that comet hitting so us in a sense. you're saying that when the... When the Roland Emmerich movie Moonfall comes out (laughs) that you want that movie to end with everybody dying from the moon hitting the earth. Cause I feel like that movie can't work if they don't survive the moon hitting the earth. That's not necessarily no goddamn sense. That's not necessarily what I'm saying. But what I'm saying is when thematically you're talking, (laughs) let me put it this way. It depends on what you're thematically talking about. If if the theme is we are ignoring the seeds of destruction that are right there in front of our face. And so like, if that's your theme, 
you need to deliver on that theme. If you're Roland Emmerich, that's not really his theme. His theme is always some kind of bravery, right? It's people <laughs> stepping How's up. How's that and, movie going to work? I can't wait to see oh, dude, that movie. I don't think dude. it's going to work. Like Roland Emmerich hasn't had a hit for a wait while. <laughs> to see that movie. It seems it's because you know what's the best I love part? that they have Kennedy in the advertising where he's just like, ah, uh, we are going to the moon. <laughs> and the moon is coming to us. By the way, really quick before we move on, because I know we're going to transition away from it. One more thing. The one part that I fucking busted out laughing, it was so subtle. They have Chris Evans talking about this movie that they're making about the comet hitting the earth. And it's like a big Hollywood movie. And on the poster in the background, it says the comet hit earth. He hit back. And I just like fucking <laughs> lost it when I read that. I was like, that's such a like dumb Roland Emmerich, like Michael Bay movie right there. But anyway, sorry, go ahead. Uh, in that one episode of Rick and Morty with the alternate where they're watching TV from alternate universes. Oh, Dimensional there's Cable. There's like the two brothers movie. And it's like, and they're two brothers and then they're fighting the all the shit. There's grandma, like old Amazon women and cats and just, and then they're like, and then the moon. <laughs> and like even the characters are like exhausted. Like really? <laughs> After all this other shit's happening, you have to throw that in too? <laughs> 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 it's like, and they're running away because the moon's going to come in to hit the earth. And it just is so funny that I feel like Roland Emmerich was watching Rick and Morty. <laughs> and then he was like, yes, <laughs> moon, <laughs> moon to earth. Why didn't I think of that? <laughs> That's the next big picture. I'm doing it. <laughs> give, somebody give me $500 million. I mean, th- to be fair, this is Roland Emmerich's lane, though. Like, we can give oh, him the sure. benefit of the doubt on this. And Independence the Day, one, tomorrow, Godzilla. Day after tomorrow. Yep. This is what he does. He destroys or comes close to destroying the earth, but, but then he people never step does. up. Nope, he never does. But thematically, Humans it's always, always people come stepping out up top. and saving it. That's what he's doing thematically. Not a fan of his movies per se. I do like Independence Day, but I know it's not a good movie. I just have nostalgia, I think, tied in with the movie. And I got to watch the second one with Bill Pullman. So <laughs> I'll never forget that. That. that was quite a quite a fun thing. And I know the second one's probably not good, which is why I will never rewatch it ever because I had that experience and I just want to keep it pure. I forget that movie exists. Yeah, it's all good. We don't need to explore it, but this is probably a good place to cut off. So take it easy. Please rate, review, and subscribe to the show. Follow us on Instagram at redwood underscore sound underscore labs, Facebook at facebook.com slash redwood sound labs, or email us at notsafernetwork at gmail.com. Not Safe for Network was created by Carl Borneman, Brandon Beardsley, and Alex Small. Produced by Alex Small. A podcast about the narrative and effective politics of war movies and their productions, too. Charles Horgan and Aaron Donaldson bring you a brand new podcast, The Real War Project. Dip in and out of subjects with Lauren and Sarah's irreverent points of view with the hilarious podcast, Dippers. Catch up with the week's pop culture news as well as reviews of new movies and shows, not to mention the occasional interview with Carl, Brandon, and Biggs on Not Safe for Network. Wrestlers wrestle, but sometimes they make movies too. This podcast lets you know how they do. Listen to Eric and Connor in all three seasons of Movies with Wrestlers. One by one, Jeremiah and Biggs break down influential movies and some wretched ones too in the podcast you can't miss, A Cosmic Void.